welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast, a podcast for farmers and ranchers ready to shift for a stronger future. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful are not. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, you'll hear how producers of all sizes and practices are moving mountains for things they believe in, all in the name of an industry that keeps growing and innovating for a stronger food system and stronger farm families. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to discuss where producers are finding success, challenging the status quo, striving for better, and keeping our heritage alive, all while producing the food we depend on. Welcome back to Farming on Purpose. Today, I have Kendall over with me. Kendall, um, I've been watching her videos on TikTok for quite a while now and have enjoyed them for a long time. Uh, You do a very fun thing called question of the day in your videos. And I love the topics that you bring up and the answers that you get on those. So I hope hope you keep doing those for a long time. I learned so much from folks in the comments there. Um, But Kendall is a third generation on her family ranch. Her grandma and grandpa bought the ranch um, after her grandpa came home from World War II. And her dad took over the ranch from her grandpa and doubled the size. So I want to learn more about how that happened. Um, And then Kendall and her husband purchased the ranch from her dad um, after he had some health problems. And she's had some experience in a feedlot equine dentistry, um, and then also has worked in the oil field. Um, Kendall and her husband have two boys, Kasten and Cannon, and are they are growing up on the ranch, which I know you are very proud of. I think we have a lot in common when it comes to kind of our story of how we've come to ranching and um, some of the things that drive us too. And then you guys also raise um, and train barrel horses. So, so much to dive into here. Why don't you fill in the gaps for us about how you got from what you were doing before to where you're at now and what you guys are doing on your operation today? Um, Yeah, I guess where to start. So um, I kind of start from when I got out of high school, I I tried college and I just honestly, it wasn't my thing. And I ended up, I just was always good with my hands. I'm dyslexic. So working in the office was not something I even wanted to even give a shot at. So I went, worked at a feedlot and I loved it. It was just a small feedlot in uh, central North Dakota. And it was, it was fun. I learned a lot there. And then I actually applied for a job in Texas in a feedlot and I got accepted and the motor blew up in my pickup. So I was in a dilemma there. So I ended up staying home because I couldn't go. I went to school for equine dentistry, which is is really one of my passions. And uh, obviously starting a new business, it's hard to make money right off the bat. So I went and worked in the oil field. And like I said, I didn't work in the office. So I went and got my CDL and I worked in the oil field with guys. And that's where I met my husband. And then we got a house and got married and all that stuff and lived out there for a while and then ended up coming home to the ranch. And um, I think we come out here when Castle was probably two. So we've probably been out here for 13 years with the kids now and just kind of helped dad and jumped in where he needed us. And you don't notice it, but it's like a boiling pot of water. 
you end up doing more and more and more as your family gets older. And pretty soon we were doing quite a bit. And then when dad's heart acted up, that's when it just stopped on his side. And they had to deal with that. And Leroy and I pretty much dove in and and really took it over for him. And and uh, COVID hit and we were going to buy the ranch from him. And I was really scared to take the loan out with COVID. And um, my dad just called me and goes, you know, take out what you can. Because I didn't want to lose the ranch. Didn't want to say, yeah, we'll take this. But then COVID's here and we'd lose the ranch. So that was really scary. Um, but we took out a loan. We thought we could manage. And then dad, my dad really helped us to make it work. So I guess that's kind of it in a nitty gritty with a bow kind of story. Yeah. Um, I was tickled to hear your husband's name is Leroy. Um, I also have Leroy's in my family and we are always told that we pronounce it strange, but you pronounced it exactly the same way. So I was like, finally, someone else who has the same. I, I would have never known I was pronouncing it wrong, honestly. <laughs> I did get told by a gentleman that my husband is the only white Leroy he knows. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of cute. And I was like, well, I didn't know that either. <laughs> well, I have uh, my grandpa, my uncle, and then my one of my son's middle names is all oh. Leroy. Oh, but that's cute. Um, so tell me a little bit more about kind of what drove you guys to come back. You came back and started helping out and kind of had a slow transition, like you said, of kind of a pot of boiling water. What was that like and what drove you to come back? Um, well, we were on a small place with horses. My horses get me in trouble. Um, we were on a small place and Leroy and I kind of got into breeding horses, just really low key. And then um, that kind of actually started working for us and it got bigger and we needed to find more land. So we're up in Wilson, North Dakota. And at that time it was booming up here big time. And to try to find any property was absolutely impossible. And we tried pretty hard to find some more land off the ranch, to buy land off the ranch, but everybody wanted oil field prices for everything. So my dad's finally like, I'll give you guys 20 acres, just come out. You know, so we ended up putting a house out on the place, which I'm not gonna lie, I was very on the fence about because I was like, I don't, what if Leroy gets moved somewhere? I didn't want to lose this property. Um, at the end of the day, the ranch is, is very important to me as a whole. So protecting it almost kind of always comes first with me. But um, so anyways, we did come move out here and then it kind of started out with the hang, you know, Leroy's my husband's really strong and super good about anything he puts his mind to. So he kind of started helping down with hang. And then I was doing a lot of the, I was riding pulse anyway. So I ended up checking cows, bringing stuff in and kind of picking that up. Um, and then letting my dad kind of do more of the stuff. He was more comfortable. My dad is 70. And I think, so he would come out when he was in his sixties and my dad is still super help, you know, besides his heart and his heart's doing pretty good. He's very healthy and strong. So my dad's been really independent. So it's not like we really dove in and did a lot, but dad would be like, Hey, what about this? Or what about that? And then he's finally, he's like, you know, maybe you guys should get some cows, which the first lot of cows we bought was like the stupidest thing we ever did. Cause we bought cows really high in the cow market was high. You know, we just saw rainbows and butterflies and that really bit us in the butt really fast. Um, so then once we got those cows, we dove in even more. And then um, I can't, it was the year 20, well, 2020 COVID dad, which was just having a hard time. And, um, he, he just got cold and tired and they finally went in and they found out his heart, he's got an arrhythmic thing where his heart doesn't beat right. And he just wasn't handling it. And it was kind of scary at first. So I just dove in and calving and I swear it was the worst weather ever. And Leroy was on days on and 
I think for four days I was cabbing by myself pretty much and it was cold. So I'd just grab the calf, bring it full, put it in my barn where it was heated, put the cow in, get the calf some colostrum, and then run the calf back out after a couple of hours. But I think on the fourth day I hit my head on a panel and I just sat down in the middle of the cabin pen and cried. And I'm like, what am I doing? This is so stupid. And um but I just remember my dad kind of coming out over and over again and checking and helping. And and it was funny too, because when we were kids, you know, if you ever got caught kind of like being lazy or napping, like that was not stuff you did. Like you, you vanished is what you did as a kid. Like I remember my dad coming home and he walked in the house. He's like, you need to take a nap. I'll pick up this check for you. And I was like, or the go check the cows. And I was like, oh my gosh, I must be like a walking zombie. So then we, it got better and we just just kind of started going. And my dad is still super involved with the ranch. Um, he's always got great ideas. And I that was another thing I had to learn too, because when we really dove in and took it over, you've got to remember to listen to your parents, even though you want to be like, I've got new, better ideas. Um, but some of the points dad had that I wish I would have stuck with, I didn't, but other ones I did. And then he, the transition into regenerative scared the heck out of my dad. Like that's, that was really hard for him because when I told him what I wanted to do with the rotational grazing, because at first we didn't do small cells. I just moved the cows every day to a different pasture. And our pastures are like 160 acres. And he was convinced I'd have the ranch grazed off by June. And we started moving along and, and that was during the drought. So we did, that was the first year of the drought. So we were still grazing long into fall when our neighbors were gone. We did have some grass stockpiles when winter did hit and what little snow we did get, it stayed and our cows still looked decent. So when a lot of people were selling out, we were still holding on. And by the end of the drought, we were actually able to add cows on. Oh, so now we're at the point now where I'm starting to do more intense grazing where they're in small cells. I made the cells really small. They're still in there from anywhere from four to seven days, depending on, I'm still trying to learn how to read that grass. That's definitely an art that is not easy. Um, so I guess that's kind of where we're at now. And we've just been adding on to the cows. Um, my dad was amazing and gave us the herd. And what we've been doing is if something's dry, we sell it under dad's name, but we keep whatever calves we have. So dad still has an income and then we're able to build our herd. If my dad wouldn't have done that, I don't think we could have pulled any of this off. Um, financially right now with agriculture, it's so expensive to get going. I have no idea how first generation people do it. And I have nothing but um, respect for them and what they go through to get going. Well, it's really cool to hear what your experience has been. Um, when you guys started doing the rotational grazing, were you pushed to that because of the drought or was that something you'd been interested in before? <clears throat> um, I went to actually a friend of mine, a gal that she runs her family ranch too. She asked me to go to a grazing school with her and I was like, sure, because she didn't want to be the only gal there. So I went with and pretty much what really got me going in it is so everybody wants to increase the size of their property, right? You want to be bigger and bigger to make more money. Well, right now to increase property is the prices are just insane and, and it's a cow can't pay for it, right? So when I heard him say, if you take your grass and you rotational graze it, you can double 
your stocking rates. And I was like, man, I could double the use of my ranch. I could still use my same property, have all my same payments, but run twice as many cows on there. That was kind of a no brainer for us. Like that was the easiest way for us to grow. And I figured at the end, if I got to the amount I could, like I want to hit 200 head. And I figure when I get to that amount, I should be able to go ahead and invest in a little bit more property. I mean, it's going to be like at a snail's pace. But my end goal for this ranch is if both my boys want to come back, that they actually could live off of it and their wives could stay on the ranch and everybody could work on the ranch. And that might be some pretty big goals, but that is my, that's my end goal. I, I hope I make it there. You know, right now it's like this year was another tough year. I'm like, we're never going to get it. Or we're never going to get ahead. But um, we do get ahead slowly. It's just so... Sometimes it's hard to see those little improvements you're making when it kind of feels like the roof is collapsing in on you. For sure. And it's so seasonal too. I feel like I always get a little bit more cautious this time of year. Um, And then it feels really good, you know, when you get to April, May and oh, things are going well again. But um, that's really, really cool to hear that that is your goal to be able to set them up well for that. I feel like that mentality is something that a lot of folks in our generation are approaching differently than the ones that came before us of how do we set them up for the future, not just how do we get by for now. Um, and I I just am so anxious to hear and see how the stories play out in real time. I think it, we're all here for the long game. So it's something, like you said, it's, it's inch by inch every year, kind of crawling forward with those things. Yeah, I think people have to have a lot of determination to even like, it's not a quick, you know, as people, we like uh, instant gratification. And this is definitely not instant gratification, which I think makes it even harder. But you're right, come spring, spring, it feels like everything's going to be okay. You know, this time of year, you're right, it's terrible. Like all the bills are due, you got to sell calves. Are they going to make weight? Like, are they as big as they were last year? Maybe they're not, or the market's going to hold. And then you know, you get through that and spring comes and you got baby calves on the ground. The world's just perfect again, but maybe real life hits harder right now. Right. It is. Uh, it's diff- interesting how it's different for everybody too. Um, we, we are fall calvers. So we um, keep the calves through the winter, but I th- it makes total sense why you guys don't there with the brutally cold winters. Um, so we're selling calves in April, May, and it's like, oh, this is great. Things are going well, but. <laughs> yeah, this selling time scares the terror to me. I think it's like the most stressful time of my life. And then we just waned a couple of days ago and we won't sell till February. So like, I'm trying not to like, I just hover around them calves right now. And I'm sure they're they're getting to the point where they're probably, they don't even acknowledge me anymore. So they're like, it's so annoying, like you're back again. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I could feel like I could protect them if I'm out there or what, but, and then I constantly watch sales and I don't know if that's a good thing either. Cause I think it makes me more paranoid. Hmm. Yeah. Just waiting to see if the market's going to turn or yeah, crazy. Um, well, one of the things that you mentioned, um, earlier in the, in the discussion was how your dad has been super involved still and has lots of great advice and experience to share with you. Um, did he, when did he take over the ranch? What kind of decisions did he make to be able to double it in size? Um, my dad. Okay. So I, I don't know the whole full story. Um, so my dad, my, my, actually my oldest uncle was supposed to take over the ranch and he had started, my dad owned a radiator shop in Williston when he got back from college. And then my 
uncle and my dad or my uncle and my grandpa had something happened and grandpa ended up calling my dad in and my dad ended up just kind of stepping in and trying to help. And then at that point, he's kind of the only one that stuck around, I think. And um, again, I think my grandpa helped my dad quite a bit. Like my grandpa never had my dad buy anything from him. It was inherited. So grandpa made it so dad could increase the size of the ranch. Because I do I do think grandpa Nearing's intentions at the end was for the ranch to stick around and for it to be something. Um, so he made it really possible for my dad and now my dad, gosh, you know, in the 80s and 90s, we were pretty broke up here. There was not a lot of money floating around this country. So my dad bartended at night and then he worked at our all day. And I remember as a little girl, I was like, oh my gosh, dad is always so crabby. He's always so terrible. And now as an adult, I'm like, oh my gosh, dad must have been so tired. Like, how could you work that hard? But um. But him working that hard, he was able to add land on and buy land. And and it's really crazy because when he talks about the interest rates they had back then, I am not, I don't know how he was able to buy that land and make it grow, but he did. And I do think my grandpa still kind of helped along the way. Um, my grandpa made a couple of great decisions in his life. Um, he was a pilot, so he flew people around. So that's what he did in World War II. And then uh, he had a guy tell him to buy some mineral minerals and he kind of bought minerals all over and he was making a little money of that in the 80s and i think that kind of helped um but i and i think grandpa did kind of help dad too that way but also dad like i don't want to put all the credit to my grandpa my dad also worked his tail off and he made some pretty good decisions as far as like when land became available my dad bought it like you know, maybe a little bit drastically and not maybe penciling. Well, my cat just knocked my broom down. Um, penciling it out as good as he maybe shut up. He's just like, this is available because our ranch is one big full, full piece and there's not a lot of ranches like that around here anymore. So um, they might have been like kind of dove into the fire type deals, but I think at the end they were good decisions. That might have been a little bit scary to make at the time. It's crazy to think what things were like with those interest rates then, but it sounds like both your dad and your grandpa were kind of ahead of their time in looking ahead, knowing that, you know, we have to help the next generation to get started or it's just not going to happen. You mentioned that you have moved to much smaller cells now in your rotational grazing. What size are you doing? Because I know that means different things to everybody. Okay, so... Like, I know if you watch some of those guys, they could tell you the exact acreage and they got phones and apps. I'm not that person because I um, am not that detail orientated and it begins to be too much to me. So our pastures are 160 acres. So I kind of eyeballed my pastures and the first cell I made, I think I made, ended up having seven cells in that. So whatever 160 divided by seven is, um, is about my cell size. So in 160 acre pasture, I was able to stay in there for six weeks where before I was only in there for a week and they really do like clean everything up. So, but I, what I didn't take into account is when I got to the next pasture, my calves were just about two months old. I never thought about the calves starting to eat the grass. So then my cells became too small. Like I drove out, I remember I moved them into the next cell and I think it would have been beginning of June and I drove out there and it looked like a carpet. I was like, oh my God, I just killed all my grass. I destroyed everything. I think it had only been like three days. So I hurry up and moved them. And then 
then I had to learn like, okay, I've got to make these bigger. I got to, and then you have to actually go walk and look at some of your grass because some spots are very, very thick and some are patchy. So I, I'd love to give you like a super like black and white answer, but I just can't because it it changes. And then if the rain doesn't come, that changes completely everything. Like I seen these guys go back and they're able to go regraze themselves. I couldn't have done that this year. I did not get any rain where I had any grass coming back like it was green and it was growing and I had like shoots coming up where I had rotational graze, but I did not, I couldn't hit it again. But at the same time, I had half the ranch I didn't graze this year. So I had to hurry up at the end of August and I just moved cows around really fast to get some animal impact because I'd been making mistakes where, well, I'll just wait for it to go dormant, I'll throw them out there and let them hit it for like six weeks. And that was the wrong decision because the grass meets the impact of the animals while it's alive. So that's something I found out too that I was making mistakes on that I'm next spring making plans to go really hit those pastures harder now and leave the stuff I'd grazed last year. And I might not even get to it, but that's kind of how you can if i had a bigger herd of cows i could have moved them through faster and i could have hit everything but then like i said if it wouldn't have rained would i've been able to come back so that's kind of the scary part too and i think i've been doing this for about four years now and this is the first year i did it with the more intense grazing so i guess until i really dive in and get to it where i hit the whole ranch i'll never know if it can handle that or not it's it's a learning thing. Like I can read all the books, I listen to all the podcasts, and I think I know what I'm doing. And then when I get out there, I'm just I'm just kind of scrambling around and trying to like figure it out. It's still so unique to every situation, like your land, and how, like you yeah. said, how much water you get and how dry the year is. But yes, I think the biggest thing, at least that I hear, that we think about when we think about rotational grazing and how it might work for us is access to water of course mm-hmm. and then um what it looks like labor wise to be able to make those moves was that a big adjustment for you guys i was really scared to start the hot wire i was it's usually just me i think my husband's only helped us put it up twice but like he he works in the oil field and when he's at home that's a job i don't even want him to do because there's other jobs that he can do better than i can and i i really want him to go do that for me um but it was it was a little intimidating. So I didn't buy anything cheap. Like I had saved money from our calves to invest in good posts, the right wire, the right electric boxes. I didn't cut corners because I knew it was just me and the kids. It was not that bad. It was actually, it's actually pretty simple. Um, I think it takes me and the boys about an hour to put fence up, you know, and that's, that's with a, a 15 year old and a 10 year old. So, you know, as you can imagine, my little guy might be running down the hill chasing something. You got to call him back and be like, hey, you're supposed to be like walking posts out for your brother. Um, so it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. It wasn't as tim- intimidating as I thought it was. I did run into problems with my hot wire not staying hot. I had to figure out ground rods better. Um, I really thought the solar box was the way to go. And I did buy a good one. Well, what I assumed is good, but listen to some of the guys on TikTok and stuff. They're like, there's better boxes you can get. My solar box didn't last. So I, the cheaper box with the batteries ended up being a better op- option for us. Hmm. Um, as far as water goes, that got harder before because the first place I had them in, there's kind of a stream that runs through there. So I could just do long, straight runs. Well, the, the last place I was on, I had one big dam 
And I knew I didn't want the cows in the dam because they would get out and go around that wire. So I had to kind of figure out how to wire off and it, it had a neck in it. And I wired that off with hot wire. And then I had to make pie shapes for those cattle. And the pie shapes are quite a bit harder to build. I'd I don't know why I end up getting, making them quite too small. And I think it's just because I feel like I'm way far out there at the end. But and the other problem I ran into that was where the cattle are going to drink. They do drink it down so much, even if it's on a bigger dam with that neck, it gets sticky in there. So I did have a, a couple times where I thought I had some cows stuck in there. I mean, they got out, but, and then the water wasn't as clean. And as you know, when the water's not clean, your calves aren't gaining as good and your cows aren't holding weight. Um, so more infrastructure of water would benefit us quite a bit. And we're working on that. It's just definitely a process. For sure. Yeah. I think everything you learn something new each season. And I'm sure when you're making big changes like that, it's like amplified. Yeah. It's a bit intimidating, but I mean, there do, if you keep an open mind about it and you stay positive and you look at what's, if you don't dwell on stuff that's falling apart and you look at the stuff that's working and you're like, Hey, this is going the right direction. It makes it quite a bit easier. I'm so glad you could join us today. You can support the mission of the Farming on Purpose podcast and be part of the tribe dedicated to building ag legacies at farmingonpurpose.com shop. You'll find apparel, office supplies, stickers, planners, and more, all inspired by the people living out ag legacies every day. Um, I saw on one of your recent videos, you were thinking about doing bale grazing this winter. Did you guys decide what you're doing there? Um, so we actually bale grazed a couple, two winters ago, and we're going to go back with diesel prices as high as they are bale grazing by far is the cheapest way to feed as far as diesel goes. So, um, there's guys that will put, ideally when you bale graze, you put all your hay out because every time you touch your bales, it costs you money, right? Mm -hmm. So you put all your hay out and then you run hot wire and you separate it and, um, Steve Kenyon said, that's the grazing school I went to. He said, you really make sure your hot wire by your water tanks is zapped up so the cows hit it and they stay real respectful. I didn't do that because for me, that seemed like a very overwhelming task to put all that hay out and then not ideal. And when you bale graze, you also don't want to bale graze on your best land. Like you want to, and I see other people that can do it, but I can't do it. It seems to kill stuff if I bale graze on good grass. So I find crummy spots. So for me, I've got like a couple low spots in our pasture I rent. And um, what we do is we put seven days worth of feed out and we take all the net wrap out. We do it once a week. I think it takes us, uh, maybe it takes us an hour, hour and a half. The kids run around and pull net wrap out, cut it and Leroy unloads. And that works pretty slick. Um, a couple of things I noticed with that the first year, it's hard on old cows because the young cows will push them off. Um, so I, if you have older cows that you're gonna nanny along, I would cut those out and maybe bale graze them on their own. Um, I kept my heifers in with mine and had no, my heifers held weight and did really well. It, it, it definitely makes your herd stronger because it's going to cut out stuff is it that's not going to last where you maybe if you traditionally fed them would get another year or two out of those old cows. But I think this year I'm just going to pull off some of those old beddies and just put them on their own and let them bale graze somewhere else. But it it is slick. And where we've been bale grazing, I'm seeing originally it was a field. Nobody planted it back to grass. So it's just weeds and it's patchy and it's, I think it's got a lot of alkali in it. Well, where we have been bale grazing, there's thick, thick weeds and they're just about touching. And which doesn't like to somebody like, well, why do I care about those weeds? When you turn the cows in there and fall, they run to all those spots first and they eat up those weeds because I think they're more palatable. So those cows just 
hammer on those spots. So a spot, I didn't have a food source. I now have a food source. Is it grass like I want? Not necessarily, but I didn't seed back over it either, which is what a lot of guys did. We also planted a cover crop over that and that did not go over good for us. I think the only thing that grew was like turnips. Mm-hmm. So, um, but as far as like the money saving side on your equipment and your fuel and your time, I don't think you can beat bale grazing. Hmm. That's interesting. I always forget to calculate equip or not equipment fuel and for like just the move, like you farm as well. Um, so it's like easy to calculate that in for like harvest and trucking. But when you think about just moving bales around and feeding, it's like one of those things you forget. It's like the cost of the hay is what you're thinking about, but it does add up. Yeah. And for us, our big input is haying since we do, we do no farming. So it's, it's cattle and putting hay up for our cattle. And our biggest expense is equipment and fuel. That is every year at the end of the year, I just want to strangle Leroy and my dad because I feel like just drive around all over, <laughs> go to church in their tractor and go cut every blade of grass they can find. And I've, I've got it now, so they don't really cut barely any grass off the ranch anymore. My dad used to hate the ranch a lot. We've got away from that. But still, like, I swear they just find anything to cut. And I'm like, you guys got to ring it in. But then it snowed here a week ago. And we were feeding hay. And my dad kind of was a little bit smart with me because I'm always after him about like the cost of things. And he goes, so are, are you glad I put up all that extra hay in case it snows again and you have to feed for seven months? And I was like, yeah, but we're not talking about that right now. <laughs> you spend too much money. <laughs> I love how you talk about the logistical things and how they tie to your finances. I think it's challenging for a lot of us to feel open enough to like dive into that. And I think you do such a good job of that on TikTok without like being judgmental (laughs) about it. A lot of um, folks, that's like a big turnoff for them and they'll never consider regenerative stuff because of that, which is just so sad. Because I think there's such big benefits that almost anybody can gain from it. Um, What was some of the biggest logistic things that you didn't anticipate when you either came back to the ranch or started doing more regenerative stuff? Um, The biggest, so when Leroy and I took the ranch over, so my husband works in the oil field, so he has a decent job, right? Um, So we were pretty used to just paying for ourselves and the horses. But when we took over the ranch, Leroy and I sat down and had a big talk and we were like, we're not taking out an operating loan. I didn't want to owe the bank. I didn't want to have to sell my calves and owe the bank and then what was ever left to survive off of. And then if I didn't take out another operating loan, that was the scariest and the hardest. And for the first two years, Leroy and I financed the ranch and we were lucky enough to do that. And I understand a lot of people can't do that. And we were lucky enough to do that. Um, That was the hardest because we cut down on a lot of stuff we had at home. Um, You know, when you work a lot, like the ranch is a lot of work. So we're out here working, we're busting your butts, we're tired, we're crabby, and then you're not getting paid for it and you're paying to do it. And that was for me real hard and really for my husband, bless his heart. Um, That man puts up with a lot of stuff I come up with. So he he was a champ and he just hunkered down with me and we did it and, and, um, I think that was hard. But then all of a sudden, last year, the ranch paid for itself. Like it paid for its bills. It didn't pay me and my husband, but it is financially carried its own weight. It paid its own. This sounds so silly, but these were big things for us. It paid 
the taxes. It paid all the insurance, paid all the diesel. It paid, I bought some cows. Um, it just stepped up and was accountable. Now, did it pay us? No, we're still working for free. But like, I feel we're on the right path where it will eventually, there might be a little bit of extra money. Be like, here, good job. You're getting paid to work instead of just working to own a piece of land and some cows. And I really don't want it to be that way. I don't want to be that person that goes, well, if you want a ranch, you have to have a job to ranch. I want to have a ranch that pays us to be out here busting our butts and freezing and sweating. And that's how it should be. Nobody should have to ranch or farm for free. It's too much dang work for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's so encouraging to hear that you guys were able to do that without an operating loan um, and then see the benefit after of that after two years. Um, I think a lot of folks want to go that direction and it's just really scary um, to approach it from that direction. So that's a great success story. Um, when it, when you talk about the ranch paying for itself and paying for the taxes and that kind of stuff, that's something that I think almost everyone in ag can identify with of like, well, yeah, that'd be nice um, to, for that to happen. And it's just not that common. And it's a huge misconception, I think, with not only beginning farmers who are coming into it. I know I had the misconception because I didn't grow up in like directly in ag or production ag. I thought, you know, you raise the cows and you'd sell them and you get a paycheck. Yay. <laughs> um and then when we got started, that was very obviously not the case. But um, it's such a misconception with beginning farmers and consumers that that is truly the situation you are entering. Did you know that it was going to be like that when you guys got started? Or kind of did your dad talk to you about the finance side of things? Um, I will tell you, be really honest with you. When I was like 19 or 20 years old, I remember looking at my stepmom and being like, I never want a ranch because I don't want to be poor. Like... I knew how little we had growing up. Um, my, like I said, we got lucky where the oil field picked up. So I don't think my younger sister saw it as much as I did, but I I knew there wasn't a lot there. And I never saw the ranches making money. It, I never, and I don't know if it's just because we had so little and we worked so hard. And I remember seeing like my, my stepmom is a hundred pounds soaking wet. And I can remember her out lifting things and carrying things around and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, she's so tiny, but she's so, and, and she, same thing, going to work at night. Um, So I I think I just knew from the watching my parents. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that almost everybody that is not doing it with the goal of being productive and being like having it as a full-time job some at some point is 100% self-sustainable. Like you mentioned, hopefully your kids get to see. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody kind of approaches it as a side hustle. Mm-hmm. And that just is such an interesting thing to me about the ranching culture and how we treat it and how we accept it in society. It's like, I know what, what do we do to change it? Like, I don't know, but... It's just so shocking. Like people that are not involved in this would think we're completely, absolutely crazy if they knew the full story. It's a terrible business. I mean, if you were to, if you brought your business books to somebody and like buy my business, they'd look at you and be like, you're out of your mind. That's, that's a money pit. I don't want nothing to do with that, you know? And it's, it's sad. Shouldn't be that way, but it is. And I think the culture is like, well, you're doing it 
to hand down a legacy and and things like that, which I understand that's so important. And you have to have that passion because if you don't, you're not going to want to keep doing it. But we have to find a way to not only hand down a legacy, but hand down something for our kids to actually live off of. If that's really, truly what my son wants to do or my boys want to do, I want to make it so that's truly what they can do and they can be happy doing it. And their wives, if they choose to be out here, could be doing it too. And they don't have to worry about their wife has to work in town because you know, all the women that work in town, they're still coming home and helping on the ranch or the farm. I mean, so everybody's working their tails off. Well, just there's got to be a way to pull it off, you know, and that's not more dug into that regenerative stuff. And when, and they're the ones that really, really talk about finances and what's this costing you and what are you putting into this? And I think that listening to more of those guys really made me open my eyes up and be like, I've got to watch this. Even buying mineral for the cows, like before I would throw mineral to the cows and now I'm like, okay, do you need it? What's a cheaper option for right now to get you by? Or what can we feed that late? I would love farm fat cows. But to be really honest with you, if I have to have my cows farm fat, they're not working for me. I'm working for them. So that that line of making so the cows are still productive, but where they can be a little bit more accountable for themselves, I think that's part of figuring things out. Um, And I'm still trying to, I feel like I'm on a roller coaster with that. Like I feel... At first, our cows were beautiful, and then I feel like I, I pushed them really hard this summer, and I had we had a lot of dries, and that was that hurt. But talking to people, it sounds like that's kind of something that's happening up here. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I'm like, did I really just screw this up this bad? So it's just a learning curve on that. Yeah, always a learning curve for sure. Um, my husband worked in a feedlot when he was out of college, and it's interesting to hear that you did as well because it's a totally different mentality and approach to cattle than what we do on a ranch Um, but he learned so much about animal health when he was there was that similar for you or what kind of things did you take away from that situation the most that you use now um probably really watching the calves and learning to watch for stuff being sick and this was a smaller feedlot and the guy I worked for was just an old guy so he was pretty savvy so things ran real smooth but um feeding kind of how he fed and what he wanted to see those calves doing I think that's kind of what I picked up and I was also kind of young so I probably could have learned a lot more but the biggest thing I took away from this guy is he looked at me when he would feed other people's cattle. so and this was this was in the early 2000s. He says the only way to make money with cattle is feed somebody else's cattle. Because he got rid of his and that's what he did. He put corn up and silage and hay and he fed other people's cattle and he did a good job at it. And that's why his field lot was always full. But he looked at me one day and he's like, you cannot have a loan on your land and on your cattle. If you do that, you will never make any money on a cattle. And that really, really stuck with us. Like, I really wanted to buy some heifers the other day and my husband is like, you, we don't have, we don't have the dry sold. You need to wait. I'm like, I could call Sean our baker. And he's like, no, we're not calling Sean. You know better. And then like when the excitement adrenaline wears off, I'm like, yeah, you're right. I probably don't need to buy them right now. I'll be able to find it right now with cattle prices. And I know this drives a lot of guys nuts that talk to me. I, I'd love to go buy the big fancy expensive heifers. I just can't, a ranch can't afford it. So I kind of got to find the deals that I feel will stick around. And I know I bought some cows last year when I brought them home. My husband, I was not impressed. They were thin, but I got them fed up. And I think out of all of them, only one didn't stick with and one didn't breed up. So I also think like I'm going off a track of the feedlot thing. I just realized I kind of went on that gadget, but um, 
that's another thing with the cows is I think it, and there's guys that do this. It's maybe an, something would be nice to learn is how you can sit in that sales barn, figure out what's a, a good cow for a good price that you can make money on. Because we all know it's not that lot of 40 beautiful big black cows. They're going to go high and somebody's going to fill their truck up and bring them home and smile when they unload them. But my bank's not going to smile at the end of the year when I have this big payment and they produce this much and I might have this many drives, then the numbers just don't add up. And and I love them. I want them, but it just, at the end of the day, isn't financial or not financial feasible, you know? Mm-hmm. You guys think about that when you go to market your calves or any that you're selling. Um, do you do any kind of thought process behind that of what you want them to look like so that they're the most attractive to buyers or what's that look like for you guys? Yep. So I kind of figured that out. I started going to the sales barn and watching calves sell, which honestly, if you're selling calves, even if you're selling them like out in the pasture, I do think you should go sit in that sales barn because you'll kind of see what these buyers want. Calves that come in the sales barn, even if they're little, but if they're shiny, so they like a black cap that almost looks blue or buckskins that have golden hair, those will always sell higher because they're healthy. So, and and match lots. Um, If you can bring a match, even if it's 20 calves and you can bring 20 steers and they're about the same size and all the same color, they're going to give you a little bit more money for them. Um, No horns, anything with horns, everything needs to be castrated. That's, and and granted, why that's a goal of mine and it's still a goal of mine is to have a match lot of calves where I could haul in. And they, what I really love to see in the sales barn is the big ranchers. This isn't me, but they'll have just calves roll through a hundred head of the same size steers. Those are the sale toppers every freaking time. And those calves, even if they don't look white as shiny as the pen of 20, but they still look good. Those will always outsell everybody else's calves. So that's one thing I don't understand kind of listening to some people when they're like some of the people like, well, we just leave our bull out. You're not putting a match set of calves together. So then you, if you have a calf that's born in, in April, and then you have one that's born in July, that July calf is going to cost you a lot of money. You might've been better off just getting rid of that cow and either putting something else there or just not having her and not having to feed her and trying to bring a match set of calves. And we used to do a, a long breed, I think 90, I don't even remember. We didn't pull the bulls till fall. Well, we do 60 days. So if I don't have cows bred within 60 days, they're gone. Because after that point, I'm losing money. After the first month, the second, that second month, you're starting to lose money because those calves just aren't as big as the others. So um, I really, really think you need to really focus on matched calves, healthy calves. And you don't want a fat going into that ring. I watched some calves sell last year that stunk, you know, because they've been on feed so hard. Yeah. And they come in, they reeked. They didn't bring as much as the pen before and they were bigger because they're going to have that shrink. So yeah, it's cool to bring a calf you got all fed up, but those buyers don't want it because they're going to lose that and they just bought weight they're losing. So I think a nice, like we brought in some green calves last year and they sold really well. Like they were some of the better selling calves at the sale. I think that's kind of my goal. And I could be wrong. There probably might be people listening to this and be like, no, that's that's not right. But from what I've seen and kind of where I'm headed, that's where I feel is a good path for us. That sounds very similar to kind of our approach. I think those bigger or not even bigger, but just those matching size groups. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that it's like when you get to that economy of scale where you have enough calves that you can pair them into groups. If you mm-hmm. do have that bigger window is really nice when you get to that point too. Um, 
it's always nice to hear um, just your thoughts on the or people's thoughts on the marketing piece too, because we focus so much on the front end, on the production, on what we're putting into them. But there's just as much opportunity, I think, on the marketing end when you go to sell them too. So it's it's one of those things you can't forget. Mm-hmm. Um, you we haven't talked very much about the horses that you guys do. I want to make sure we touch on that. You don't talk about it a whole lot um, online, but I know it's an important part of what you guys do. So do you want to share about that? Um, yeah. So Lira and I, the horses are definitely both our passions. Um, my husband will joke around and be like, how many horses do you have? But he loves them as much as I do. Uh, we've been raising and breeding horses for, since we first got married, our wedding present was a breeding from a stud. And so it's been 16 years, 17 years, and we've grown a but the horses are the same way. It's a business. So we've grown a business of raising and selling barrel horses. And uh, we've got a good, pretty good name for ourselves. And and with their, their straight run and bred horses, but we ranch them and they're really user friendly. And we went to school to um, do a bunch of repo stuff. So we're more independent. And that's the horses are pretty fun. The kids really like them. I, I don't see my oldest sticking with them. He He'll ride with me, but... He's not. And then uh, we do pretty much all the training on the place. We'll send him off for about 60 days or 90 days and then we get him back. And then after that, they go through our barrel training program. They work on the ranch. And then a lot of the people, our horses actually end up going to high school rodeo kids is where our biggest marketing group is if they stay through the program. But we'll sell a lot throughout. So we'll sell winglings, yearlings, two-year-olds. But if they stay and they make it till after their fraternity year, usually high school kids pick them up. And I think that's because of one, they're very broke. Um so they're used to everything. They're pretty quiet-headed. Even if they're, you know, on the muscle, they're totally manageable. They're competitive and they've seen things. We we use them at brandings. I mean, those horses have been used. And that's so nice when, if you're doing high school rodeo, you can get a horse that is diverse enough that you can use it outside of the arena as well. Because mm-hmm. it, I think it's so expensive so fast for those kids doing high school rodeo if they got to have that many different horses for their different events and then also just to use at home. <laughs> that is nice that they're diverse. We'll have to keep that in mind. I've got two girls. So well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> See what they're interested in. They're pretty little still, but yeah. that's always um something I think about a lot too, the how the kids grow up and what opportunities we have to present them with to kind of fall in love with the lifestyle that we fell in love with or completely turn them away from it. Is that something that you guys think about much or have had to deal with so far? So that, yes, that's a big thing we talk about. Um, My oldest son wants to be a pilot. He wants to fly around the world. He's just always, since he was a baby, sounds silly, but you could leave him with his grandma for a week and he didn't care if I left him. Uh, the little one, though, is like hangs on to my skirt. You know, that's his personality. But the oldest one wants to see the world, but he's got a, a pretty good passion. He's really interested in the grazing portion of it. And he's he is interested in the cows and he's got a good eye for things. And he pays. I mean, even though he's a 15 year old boy and kind of a space cadet, he he's picking up a lot. He went to FFA in, Bain, in his school in Bainville here and they do like a range management class. And my son is just excelling at it. And I was like, man, you know, and the teacher, I was at a parent-teacher conference meeting yesterday. And he's like, Casting comes up with questions we're not even going over yet. And I'm like, where is he coming up with this? Well, I listen to a bunch of podcasts and I never think my kids are paying attention, but I think they pay attention more than I think they're. And then when we're driving around the ranch, 
One of the biggest things I do with my kids is I ask them questions. I'm like, what are your thoughts? Like, especially with my oldest son, when we're putting fence up, I'm like, how do you want to do this? Or what do you think? Because if he's got an opinion in it, he's more invested in doing it. It's not just mom making. Now he still has days. Mom's making him go out and he's mad at me. But if he is invested in it, he's interested in it. And that seems to drive him quite a bit more. The little one, He's only 10, but he's always just kind of have a love for the animals. He likes to ride. He enjoys the cows. He likes sitting there. Just, you could tell he just likes being around where my oldest is, you know, his head's up in the clouds. But I try not to make it, and my kids work, right? And my husband and I, we talked about this because we worked pretty hard at kids. Anybody that grew up in agriculture works hard as a kid. And um, so what we did a little bit different is my oldest son is old enough to get a job last year. So we paid him to work on the ranch. So he clocked his hours and he got paid. Um, And we decided to do that again. So he's invested, right? So he just doesn't feel like he's a slave. And it was funny because he was going out fixing fence and it was terrible. Like it was so bad. And I even told Leroy, I'm like, this is horrible. And Leroy goes, you know what, Kendall? Let it be. When the cows break it, he'll fix it again. And that next time he's like, man, I already fixed this. So he's going to find a way to fix it better. And so that's what we did with him. And you could really see him step up. Um, we do want the kids to work off the ranch, though. I think they need to work with other people. I don't want him just sitting here only working with mom and dad because obviously I'm his mom and I'm going to baby him. So he needs to go work with other men and realize that it's not is I mean, he works, but it's not as easy as working with mom and dad. And both the boys, like if they do want to come back to the ranch, they need to go to school for something. I mean, I don't necessarily need my kids to go to college, but even a tech school, I need them to leave the ranch and go live life a little bit and then they can come back. But they're not going to get out of high school and stay here and start ranching with mom and dad. That's just not something we're going to do. They need to go live life and decide if they want to come back. So my biggest fear is, is they're going to stay here. And when they're in their mid-30s, they're going to look at each other and be like, we never left. What What's out there in the world? And I don't ever want them to feel like they're missing out. So I do think that, and, and, you know, there's a chance they might not come back. Um, but, you know, I have a lot of nieces and nephews, and I'm sure if my boys don't want to come back, one of the kids would be interested. And, and for us, we don't really care which of our kids or family members takes the ranch over. We just want it. It's to preferably stay in the family and them to go on and be able to share it with their kids. And hopefully it keeps going on. You know, obviously there's probably always an end to everything, but I would like to see it continue on after us. That's one thing I think is going to be really cool to see even more so in the future is how that generational passing on of things happens. Because for some, I mean, ranches here in the U.S., it's sixth, seventh maybe eighth generation at most now. Um, And it'll just be interesting if we're able to, or have, if farming and ranching still looks the same here in a couple of generations that we're able to keep doing that. I hope it does. Yeah. I would love to see that just keep rolling along. Yeah. Well, um, we've covered a lot of ground (laughs) today. The last questions that I have for you are really just what's got you fired up lately? What kind of conversations have gotten under your skin or what's been on your brain that you've just been mulling over? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. What's got me fired up lately? (laughs) Um, You know, I don't know. I don't know if anything's really got me too to yeah i know to be really honest um the dry cow thing we had i think that's very much on the mind i mean i don't know if it's ranch orientated like with us personally if that's kind of what you're wondering that's got me frustrated 
you know, taxes honestly gets me really frustrated because I feel like, like for us, every time we do something, my mindset is that that's a calf. That's a calf. Um, the cost of things right now, that's no like the cattle market, I feel is kind of where it needs to be. But uh, everything else, like I, I made a question of the day the other day about what what's your biggest cost we weren't expecting. And everybody's saying fuel and equipment. You should not have to go to John Deere and spend $500 on an itsy bits part. Like that kind of there ticks me off, but it's the inflation. Um, yeah, that's the only thing that I don't know. I don't get too fired up too often. When I do, it's pretty good. But right now I don't got anything that's got <laughs> you off the hook. Nothing lately. Well, that's good. That's good. I'm sure to not have anything getting too under your skin, but I agree. The inflation is insane. I don't know um, how some folks are going to keep going at this rate for very long. Yeah. Got to give at some point. I don't know what it's going to be. It might be a little scary when it happens, but I've got to give. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Kendall. If folks want to learn more, see your questions of the day or follow up with you after today's episode, where can they find you at? Um, so I have a TikTok account. It's ND Ranch Life. And I do questions of the day on there. And it's really um, the whole point of my question of the day is so people could actually talk about things. I kind of felt like for a while, everybody was just kind of arguing and I wanted to save. I hate using the word safe space, but a safe space where everybody could just express their opinion. And what I love about it is I barely ever get fighting in the comments. Everybody says what they have to say and nobody and there'll be some really good runoffs that people start talking on there. So um, question of the day is great. And if anybody ever wants me to put a question up there, uncomfortable asking, shoot me a message. I do it a lot. Um, and then we have our barrel horse page. That's www.knlbarrelhorses. Um, I need to really update that, but that's kind of our horse side of things. And, you know, and that's another thing. If anybody's kind of looking for horses or have questions on barrel horses, you know, I'd be more than happy to answer any of those, but I would say that's probably the two best ways to get a hold of us. Awesome. I didn't know you did, um, the posting on questions on others behalf. That's really neat. Good way to get folks take answers that they want. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes people, it's so funny because I think sometimes question of the day, people think I'm a raving idiot, which is fine, but I'll have people message me and they just aren't quite, people are judgmental. And um, and I think also with me being a woman, it's it's easier for people to come and answer those questions where like for a man to ask those questions, I feel like he might get judged a little harder than me. So I think people are like, oh, she's just a silly girl will answer her question. And I've got a lot of friends. I've made so many friends on TikTok that I value their opinions. That I, I ask them questions on. So it's such a great spot for information. So if, if anybody has a question and you are uncomfortable, I am 100% okay with asking the question. I did one the other day about embryos. That was not my question. That was another guy's. And I was like, I don't know how this, I was really worried about that question. I'm like, nobody's going to answer this. And there were so many great answers and comments on them. Like this was an amazing question. And I learned so much off of that question. So, and I love learning things. And I think there's so much information out there in people's minds that just don't get an opportunity to get shared. So more questions, the better. Yeah, I loved that embryo one that you did. That was very interesting because it's something I hadn't thought about either. Uh, that's usually not, yeah, just the way your mind goes when you think about em embryo transfer. So, no, no, it was a good one. There were some great answers on there. I was, I was really just the knowledge these people have is just wild. Yeah, so cool to make connections there. Well. 
Thank you so much for being here today, Kendall. We'll make sure to put links to your places they can find you in the show notes. And um, we'll maybe come back in a year, see how things are going, see what you're up to then. I'd love to have you back to learn more about what you were learning. So yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me. It's such an honor to get asked to do this. I was just, I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, somebody wants to hear what I have to say. So I really appreciate it. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Kendall. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or join the conversation on social media. Do you have a topic you would like to discuss or know someone with a story to share? Apply to be a guest on the podcast at farmingonpurpose.com. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, on your favorite social media platforms for more content by searching for Farming on Purpose. And remember, if you look around your table and aren't inspired by the people there, it's time to find a new seat.